Hey, you found us. Welcome to Comfortably Uncomfortable, Not Another Running Story. I'm Megan Fanning, and I'm joined by Sean Meehan. We created this podcast to continue the real conversations that we have when we get outside to run, bike, surf, climb, or whatever it is that you do. We love the real conversations when boundaries come down, because really, that's when it gets interesting. (laughs) (laughs) We got fucking a new YouTube channel launching. Do you like stickers? We got stickers. Subscribe. We'll send you a sticker. Subscribe to what, Sean? To our new YouTube channel. Check it out. We have a new YouTube channel? Endurance Now. Dot YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking check it out. That's Zen has an... The Zen that Megan's using right now, not to lose her shit. Endurance, as in like endurance, which you'll need to listen to this shit regularly. At YouTube. Cause that YouTube? YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Oh yeah, stickers. Fucking stickers are awesome. Everybody loves a sticker. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Good. Hey, do you know we have a super special guest today? I'm kind of excited (laughs) because I know you have wanted to bring Amy on for a while. So just this, this will be fun. Yeah. So we have Amy Rizeki, race director for Vermont 100, uh, race director for all the races for Beast Coast Trail Running, uh, the Western Mass area and beyond trail running community that she's kind of created there. And the races she puts on. Um, she's also the race director for the Seven Sisters Trail Run. And uh, beyond that, um, she's an engineer. Um, works for, I believe, the municipality of Amherst, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we got a thumbs a, up. So, Sean, you're doing great. She's an assistant assistant um, cross-country coach at Hampshire College. She is ultra runner and runner in her own right who has a ton of accolades i think she's um over over a hundred plus ultras with uh over 30 number one finishes top finishes is that correct oh she's saying she's saying maybe i i I honestly don't know i i i don't know so so yeah well welcome amy rizeki thank you for coming on Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, um, I I don't know. Where do you want to start off, Amy? Do you want to like start off with how the hell you got into running? How you got into ultra racing? How you got into race directing? Where do we Where do we begin? Where do you begin? I don't know. Where do you, Where do you want to start? So <laughs> let's. Oh, go ahead, Jen. I was just say. So, how did you get into running? I guess that's it's what like, I was going to ask. <laughs> where we're, we're going to go with this. All yeah. right. So we're going to start really young because I am one of those people that has been running my whole life. Um, and so, you know, I grew up in a family that was very active, you know, like we played soccer because that's that's the rule, right? Like every kid has to play soccer growing up. Um, but we also did orienteering um, when I was really young. Um, so I grew up orienteering as well. And so I feel like in a way that was getting me out in the woods, exploring, you know, kind of trail running in a different way at a really young age. Um, 
but I was never really good at soccer or anything like that. And so when I got into middle school, it was like you could join the soccer team or you could do like field hockey or you could do cross country running. And so I did cross country running and, you know, from, you know, middle school, high school, um, college and beyond. Um, but um, all of that, I actually we started cross country skiing as a family when I moved to Massachusetts, which was, um, you know, fourth grade. Um, Cause that's what all the families that orienteered in the winter, they did cross country ski racing. So they did the local Bill Coke league. And so I actually like, that was my sport through college. Like I was a cross country skier who happened to run. I wasn't, I didn't identify as a runner. And I really only have identified as a runner after I graduated college and just kind of to keep up the level of like where I was at with cross country skiing, it just was kind of beyond what I could commit to, especially not having access to snow and not having a team to support me and all of that. And so then that's when I started to maybe start to identify a little more as a runner and less, you know, like a runner who happened to ski in the winter to stay fit as opposed to a cross country skier who happened to run in the off season. Um, so that that's kind of, you know, I, I did grow up in one of those families, though, where, you know, we were orienteering and we were canoeing on vacation and we were hiking and we were just kind of always outside and being active. So it's kind of always, I guess, been in my blood. I can relate. I think I, you're bringing back a memory. <laughs> I I think I started cross country skiing, you know, on my dad's back when I was like one or two years old. And then I there's a picture somewhere we'll have to I'll have to dig it up. But it's. I, you know, I'm on my first pair of cross country skis and I'm holding the poles. Yes. You know, and I think I'm about three years old, you know, yeah. out in my backyard and I can, you know, and just going out there with my dad. And that's, that's just like what we did. Yeah. 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 So when I joined, I, it was me and a bunch of people like you who had like kind of basically come out of the womb with boots on and skis on. And I was like a late bloomer in the Bill Coke League, not starting till I was 10 or 11 years old. And so it, you know, I kind of went through all those awkward phases of trying to stay upright uh, for a couple of years, but, uh, but it was fun, you know? Awesome. Do you still do some cross country skiing or are you? Yeah, I do a little bit of it. Again, I don't have... I don't have access to snow um, as as frequently as I would like to. <laughs> um, so I do a little bit of it, but I also at some point when when I started kind of getting into a little more of the trail scene and the ultra scene, I also fell in love with snowshoe running. And so, you know, it's another way to play in this, the trails and in the snow in the winter. Um, and so now, you know, when I do get on snow in the winter, my time is split between doing some snowshoe running and some cross country skiing. So um, that also kind of, you know, having fun on snowshoes also cuts into the the skiing time. But right um, but I certainly get out and my basement has, you know, so many skis to prove it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So you, you came into to running. Did you run in college as a cross country runner also? I did. I So I went to Clarkson University, which is upstate New York, which, you yep. know, as you said, I'm an engineer. So, you know, being an engineer and being a good student was you know, it was a D3 school. Like it was more about get your classes in and then extracurriculars were extracurriculars. Um, and so, you know, basically everyone on the ski team, we did cross country running in the fall and then skiing in the winter. And so, you know, so I did run collegiately. But, um, you know, again, I wasn't like. I wasn't anything amazing. I was, you know, a skier who ran. All so. right. And to, I guess, here's, so now 
we didn't introduce your, your husband, Brian, is also a phenomenal and accomplished runner. Um, did you guys meet in college? Did you guys meet after college? Uh, like, yeah, uh, we met. I mean, we met after I had run a couple ultras and he had run a couple ultras. Um, you know, we were both 29 um, and I was training up for my first hundred miler. And um, and there was just a whole group of us in the area that were running that were all training a bunch of people from Western Mass that were all kind of training up for our first hundred miler in Vermont. And um, and Brian somehow was in that same circle. So that's when we first kind of crossed paths a bunch was um, training up for Vermont 100 and just kind of going for some of these epic long runs um, with there was one person in the group that knew what she was doing. That was Donna Utakis, who's you know one of those like mentors to me that I looked up to when I was a new ultra runner. Um, and it was her and like six or eight of us who were all like, we don't know what we're doing, but we will follow Donna because she knows. Um, and so we did all these like epic runs, but um, that that was kind of my first interactions with Brian. And you guys, you guys have a coaching business you guys also do together. Do you guys still do that? Or do you just kind oh, of mentor and coach? coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I think like if you look on the running Rosecki's like page, I think he's still like, was listed there as a coach last time I looked, but no, <laughs> Brian's like, I don't want to talk to anybody. No, Brian, my husband and, and God bless him. He's, he's amazing, but he's like, he's a, he's a very unique soul. Like he, he doesn't own a watch. He doesn't follow a training plan. Like his whole training is just like, I don't know, I'm going to run. And then when it starts to get dark, I'll try to find my way back to my car. You know, I and like that's, that's that. what he does. It's so I love that. That's but like, like if, and, yeah, I love that. Perfect. Yeah, like we all would love to be like that, but it's also like mm -hmm. that's not what you wanted a coach because how do they like how do you structure and communicate <laughs> that to someone else? He's just he does right. his own thing. It, but he, to be fair, he also is like so in tune with his body that he knows when he needs to take an easy day, when he needs to take a hard day, and he has all like for some reason he somehow has all the motivation in the world to like push hard without someone saying you need to do a workout. He's just like, I don't know. I felt like I needed to go out and fucking hammer today. So I did. Um, you know? <laughs> and that's just what he does. So, yeah. All right. So when did, when did the race directing aspect of your journey like happen? Like how did, how did you go from being an ultra runner and running Vermont 100 to taking over Vermont 100? And yeah. was that the first big race you took over? It's the first big race. Um, but I'll back up a little bit that, you know, I raced cross-country skiing in college. And um, I raced, there was an, there's an organization that a lot of people don't know about. Like everyone knows NCAA, collegiate sports. And then there's this parallel organization for skiing, downhill, cross-country, and snowboarding. And it's called the um, U.S. Collegiate Ski Association. It's the USCSA. And that's where, like, it's kind of the D D3 of cross-country skiing. Um, so there was a lot of schools. It was Cornell, Clarkson, um, RPI, WPI, uh, Colby Sawyer, West Point, all of us. That was the ski league that I raced in in college, um, was the USCSA league. Um, when I graduated college, the guy who was organizing it was like, hey, I need help. Will you help me organize the league next year? And so he brought me on board, had me kind of help organize, you know, so it's, 
six different race weekends, finding six different venues, registering all the runner or the skiers, coming up with results, posting the results, like going through that whole process. Um, and then like a month before the season was going to start, he was like, hey, P.S., I got a lot going on. It's yours. Um, so I ended up organizing that ski league, the Northeast Collegiate Ski League, like straight out of college for, I think, eight years. Um, so I say that to say like Vermont was the first big one, but I certainly had been I, I had some experience organizing ski races. So I, I knew some of this stuff. But yeah, Vermont 100, um, you know, so I, I gave that up to kind of try to focus a little more on my, you know, ultra running and just kind of see what I might be able to accomplish in that time. Um, and, you know, did several years in the Vermont 100 and all these other amazing races. And then, um, you know, kind of the, the short story of that was just the woman that was race directing the Vermont 100. Um, she had a very young family, you know, she had just had one child was pregnant with the second and just was like, I'm not going to be able to continue race directing. And so they were looking for another race director. Um, and they ended up actually putting a call out to all of us. It was, it was almost like a job interview, like, Hey, who's interested? Submit your resume. Um, you come in for an interview. And that was the process that I went through to become the Vermont hundred race director. Um, but partly it wasn't like I went into it being like, I am, I'm amazing and I'm going to be the perfect person for this and hire me. Um, kind of the context behind me, even throwing my hat in the ring was it happened to be right after Lifetime Fitness took over Leadville 100. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you guys remember that time period or not, but I, Led, um, Lifetime Fitness is actually doing a great job with Leadville now, but the very first year they took over, they kind of overprescribed the race. There was a ton of, you know, trauma to the trail. There was a bunch of trash left behind. There was, it, it was just kind of, it, it, it ended up being a really bad situation in the ultra scene in general. And I think it, it put a lot of fear in general of people in the ultra community that, if big corporations come and buy out these small races, they can fundamentally change what the races are about. So that's the context of when this call went out. It was very fresh in all of our minds that this had just happened at Leadville. Um, and to be clear, like I ran Leadville a couple of years after that happened, like Lifetime figured their shit out. It's it's great now, but they just had this like huge blip. But that was right before Vermont was looking for something. And I, I know, at least for me, I just was like, I don't know that I'm the best person, but I care enough about this race. And I don't want to see a corporation come in and fundamentally change a race that's so focused on community and so focused on just being welcoming and a great first time um, race for people. And so I, I more just put my hat in the ring that like, you're probably going to find someone better, but I'm going to at least be better than a corporation coming in. Right. And, um, it, like that was the intent and that whatever, but they, they had faith in me and they put me yeah, at the I, helm. So that, remember, that's kind of how that worked. <laughs> I remember the photos of the cars parked down the, the, the dirt roads for like miles and miles. And just, there, yeah. there was just no, there was no, um, I guess it, it was just a free for all that like the yeah. first year that they took over, even, I think it was the second year they, they had a, a lot of, a lot of hiccups. It, yeah, too. It, was little, it, it sounded like a learning curve for them for sure. Yeah. But um, so I have a question and I was actually going to save this till the end. Cause I didn't see us going there right away. Oh, but when boy. we recorded, <laughs> when Sean and I recorded last week, it was just the two of us and we were doing our 
our banter. And one of the things that we talked about was the controversy of um, Iron Man purchasing UTMB. Um, so building on, I mean, so we we talked about this, gosh, at length last week. And UTMB is like Sean's dream race right now. So I'm speaking for you, Sean, but you know, he, he was really totally struggling. worth it. Just say it. I know. <laughs> right. a, 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 Five years ago when I ran it, totally worth it. Amy yeah, and I so, actually talked about this last weekend. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but tell me, I'm eager to know what your thoughts are because that what you were talking about really leads into almost what's happening now. And what do you think about, what do you think about Iron Man and, and what happened, you know, when they purchased? Yeah. Yeah, no. And I mean, I'll say that it's a hard thing to answer just because I think we don't know enough right now. You know, like you've got you've got Gary who's telling one story and Gary, I I don't think I've met him personally, although I've certainly met a lot of people in the ultra community. But he certainly, you know, at least by reputation is someone that we all know, we all respect. You know, I'm not saying that I you know, disagree with what he's saying, but it seems like there's there's certainly some gray area between you know, the, the, what his story is and then the perception, you know, who knows what happens behind closed doors. Um, so I, I don't know, like, I really want to get more information and partly what, what makes me curious about it is just like grindstone hundred, which I ran back in the day, like that also has, is a UTMB race now. And I have, you know, the greatest respect for Clark Zealand, who's the race director down there. And I know him pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to him, but I'm really curious to talk to him to hear what his experience is, to hear, like, is this deal going on in Whistler? Like, is it an anomaly or is it really this is the way it is and everyone's just kind of at some point playing nice at all these other places? Like, I don't I don't know. Um, you know, that being said, I'm, I'm very guarded because I do think that. Um, Part of, at least to me, part of the ultra community in general is, you know, the the friendships and the welcoming right. of everyone and right. celebrating everyone and having yes. these low key events, these homegrown events where you know the aid station volunteers have like themes and they have all of these other things, and that comes from a race that has real spirit. And unfortunately, a lot of times when you have these big corporations coming in, the spirit of it kind of gets stripped away. Um, and maybe that's what some people are looking for, for sure. But um, yeah, I, I do yeah, worry. I do worry that you know it's going to drive either drive out of business or really kind of limit the number of participants in some of the more homegrown things. Which I mean, when when it comes to like the races that I run, Beast Coast Trail Running, like it's all about the community. I think of it more of a community that happens to have races and not races that we put on. Like we're really trying to just welcome everyone, celebrate everyone, you know, make connections, have fun on the trails. So. Yeah. Um. And that's, I, I moved into ultra running from triathlon and that's one of the reasons I started doing ultra running was just because I was, you know, I was at these triathlons and I'm frankly not that fancy. I just, and you know, <laughs> I, I think I, we, I think I use this analogy you know, last week when we recorded, but it's, you know, people are running ultras and it wouldn't be unusual if somebody, you know, somebody's running down the trail with a garbage bag on, 
you know, I mean, <laughs> but, but the, you know, the matching kits and the bikes that cost more than my car. And I just did, I mean, I love running triathlons, but I didn't feel that connection. And as soon yeah. as I started getting into ultra running, the races that I like are, you know, the race directors that I know, and, you know, they're really good people. Um, they're supporting everyone. And, and, you know, people show up for races and you really can't tell from the personalities, you know, who's going to win and, you know, and who's going to be last. It doesn't matter. Right. Everybody is treating each other the same. And, you know, if, you know, if, somebody runs out of food and I happen to have extra food, I'm like, oh, sure, here you go. That right. that doesn't happen in triathlon, or at yeah. least maybe the triathlons that I was doing, you know? Right. So, so no, I, I hope I, it maintains that that sense of community. Because that's, and that's why Sean and I even do this podcast. It's just, we we do, we love the community and we love the, you know, the family that we've developed. Yeah. I even like, I ran this morning with um, a guy who I, met through Vermont hundred cause he's run Vermont hundred a couple times. And there's some people that just like, they email you and that sort of thing. And like, you just kind of get to know them through whatever being a race director. So it's like, I become friends with him. And then this other guy that I ran the mid state massive 50 miler, and he just happened to latch onto my pace. So I ran the first 35 with him. Um, but we were running and we were all kind of talking about like running marathons before we stepped up to ultras and talking about how like marathons are fun, but like, gosh, try to find somebody to talk to when you're right. running a marathon and everyone's got their earbuds in and they're like so focused on the per mile pace. And, you know, like I for I typically have luck to find the one other trail runner out there that will talk to me and engage in a conversation. But most people aren't that lucky. But to be fair, I probably talk to like 500 people and I find the one person out there that will talk. Um, so. Yeah, we were just kind of talking about like the difference between the roads and the trails. So. Um. So you took over. Did you take over Vermont in 2016, 2017? I think it was 2015. 15, okay. And Sean, what year did you do it? What year were we there? 2017. 2017, okay. What What was the weather like? Oh, it was. It was beautiful. A little warm, but it wasn't wasn't crazy hot. It wasn't the 2019. Yeah. It wasn't 2019, which was like the crazy hot. There were yeah. also a couple of years where it like downpour rained in the middle of the like True. one year it was like midnight to 4 a.m. So the 20 to 24 hour runners. And then one year it was. Yeah, there were a couple of like downpour rains in the middle of the night. Two, 2016, I paced Jason Como and I was waiting for him <laughs> at Camp Ten Bear in the pouring rain. It was yeah. it was coming down hard yeah. Yeah. yeah um but that's so now huh, you've had a <laughs> for vermont 100 you've had a handful with that like it has been rough between pandemic landowners natural disasters i mean like that's that's hard i mean that would be hard for a major corporation how how do you go about handling all of that? Plus, I mean, not to mention, it's also a horse race, too, which I don't think. I, you know, we didn't mention that. And, and I was hoping you were going to mention that. Yes. And that was my first experience <laughs> with an ultra with horses. Um, and, well, and it might be your only experience with, yes. ultra with horses, <laughs> because a lot of races, even if they still have the 100 mile ride, it, they're segregated. So like Western states. Yeah. 
was, you know, a ride and then became a run. But the Tevis Cup, which is a horse race that's held at a different time. And like Old Dominion is another one that's, you know, a run and a ride, but separate weekends. Vermont is the only one that still holds them concurrently. So, yeah, sorry was, to cut you was, off. Go ahead. No, it was, a, it, was a great ex- it was a great experience. But the funny thing was, I remember pulling up and you know, parking and walking in and all that. And I think I initially walked into where all the, I'm just gonna say all the horses and all the horse people were. And I was like, these don't seem like ultra runners. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and I asked that, you know, I said something like, oh yeah, you guys are over there. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> this is, yeah, but yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it's definitely a different group of people. And it just, I didn't, realize frankly how personality we are as ultra runners um and so they're probably thinking the same thing about us like oh yeah over there (laughs) yeah 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 um yeah and i'm fortunate like when it comes to the vermont 100 like i i'm at times the face which at like at times it's great and i get a lot of accolades for what a lot of people do behind the scenes and then at times when we have to cancel the race and somebody wants to hate on somebody um, I take a lot of the heat as well, mm. um, but I'm the face of it. But like people should understand that it's it's not just me doing this. Like I've got this amazing race committee behind me and they all do a lot of work. And a lot of them do a lot of the work with zero credit. And that also means that at times when it's canceled, like they don't get the blame. But it also means most of the years when it's a very successful race, they've done so much work and it it kind of flies under the radar other than, you know, me thanking them or like having them stand up at the pre-race to just kind of get a couple of claps from the participants who frankly are just thinking about their race and are just kind of like clapping out of respect. Like they they don't, it's, you know, it it kind of, it's not always, you know, it's not always as visible how many people do so much work behind the scenes to make the magic happen. So, and that's how, even like when it comes to the ride, like I, I'm not someone who's ever participated in an endurance ride. I think I rode a horse once when I was really young. Like, I don't really know what happens, but you know, next to me, there's a ride manager and she kind of spearheads the whole ride, but like I'll work on getting the permits that are the same, you know, like we get one permit for both events and I get, you know, police detail, you know, like we kind of organize a lot of the shared resources, but she manages you know, the ride specifics and, um, yeah, but I've had to learn a lot about, you know, a lot about horses and how endurance rides work over the years, which is just fascinating. Like I have a mutual respect for them. They have a mutual respect for us crazies that run that far, you know, um, it's really cool. The, the volunteers and the people that help put on the race I've got over the years, I've been fortunate to meet a lot of them. And, um, when the race got canceled this year and, we got together and went out to like Proctorsville and and in the areas to to help clean up and stuff like that. And like I get to meet like Mike and and yeah. some of the ham radio guys. What's amazing to me is the people that are involved in the race that are not runners. Right. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. When I like when I stepped on as the race director, I the, there was the race committee that had already existed and so i kind of stepped on as like head of a committee you know like this pre-existing committee um and because the race originally started from vermont adaptives um which is vermont adaptive ski and sports it's a nonprofit that um works to provide accessible you know access to sports for 
um, people of all range of disabilities. Um, but anyway, so the, the event started from Vermont Adaptive Ski and Sports. And so a lot of the people that got roped in initially, they're not runners. Um, and so I've tried to over the years, like when someone steps down and I have a gap to fill, I try to bring on either someone who's either a runner or a rider, although there are a lot of ride voices on that committee. Um, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of people on the committee who don't run at all. Um, and to me, that's even more amazing how much passion they show for this event when like, I'm someone who's run it. Like, I get it. I'm friends with like so many people that are out there running. And, um, and it's amazing that they put so much passion into something where like, um, it's not something that they've ever participated in, but they have their own connections to everyone out there, whether they're the ham radio operator that's worked, you know, you know, worked at net control every single year. And they've got 30 friends of theirs at every single aid yep. station being the ham radio operators like, yeah, those guys don't run at all. Um, but they have this whole network that they, um, you know, that they're friends with and that to them, that's just as exciting to get together and be on the ham radio for 30 hours in a row supporting this event. Um, like it's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. And one of the things that I, I don't know if people really realize what a community event those races are that, that big, right? Like I know, um, Right. I think at Pretty House, there's a new homeowner, right? That that is a recent like is she she new homeowner there or or because people like people had said like she was the like the kindest like person. She was like, oh, do you want to come in and like at the station? Do you want do you need to shower at my house? Like what like and that's just like part of the community. And like you said about like the ham radio guys that all get together and then I mean just people shuttling people around. I mean, everything about it is, is a real community event getting out. Like I said, getting out and helping people after this year's cancellation because of the flooding and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it that, was, that could be organized and, and was great too, you know, that was, um, I, and I feel like that was really amazing for the, the ultra community and some of the volunteers to come and give back to the community. Cause like, you know, I think back to like 2019, which was the hot year at Vermont 100. And like, I can't tell you how many homeowners that the race went by who like put hoses out, put, you know, like they put ice chests out on their front lawn. They did everything they could to support us as runners um, and, you know, and as an event. And it was really it was really amazing that in their time of need, um, we were able to at least have an impact. And I don't know that it was a huge impact. They had a ton going on, but at least we were able to to be there and do something to help. Um, so it was, you know, it was it was kind of it was a silver lining to what was really, really, you know, a, a tough, a tough, tough thing for all of us to kind of swallow like this race isn't happening this year. Yeah. Uh, so did you um, did anyone? So I know I know the after the cancellation that you kind of held, I think, impromptu, um, a hundred mile run on, uh, was it on the Robert Frost trail that you were planning on or? Yeah, it was, it was from my backyard. So, um, anybody that knows me knows that like when I get bad news rather than processing it, I need to just like push it away and then like focus on planning something else. Um, it's just like kind of how I process. And so my friends knew the minute 
it was a couple of my friends who just knew this. The minute I sent out the cancellation, they were like, okay, so what are we doing instead? <laughs> they were just like, we know you're going to need to run your emotions out. We know you need to get a community together. So what can we do? And so we ended up from my backyard and it was maybe like a couple dozen people, um, you know, so maybe like 25 of us total or something joined me in my backyard and we ran from my backyard up to the Robert Frost trail and then ran as much of the Robert Frost trail as they wanted. And if you ran to one end and then all the way to the other end and then back and then ran back to my house, it was a hundred miles. Um, and so, um, there was a bunch of people that ran, you know, 40, 50, 60 miles of that. Um, we had one finisher, um, and it was Matt Plinsky, who's a ultra runner from Northampton, who was gearing up for his first hundred mile run at Vermont. And so he came and he was our only, we, we called it the Vernot hundred. <laughs> um, and so he was only our only Vernot hundred um, finisher. But again, it was a great example of the community coming together. Cause we also, with like two or three days notice, all these people that were going to be out there, like crewing and supporting runners we were, i was like great if i give you a table and a jug and like a bin of food will you stand at an intersection for us and so like we got all these people like coordinated to like stand at different road crossings and like kind of have aid stations so that people could be supported while they were running and oh it was i mean that is great it was really, really cool. cool but again like yeah. an example of this is the ultra community and this is how it comes together um in really amazing ways you know right and just, I think the the silliness and the toughness that is, I mean, because it's a drop for Vermont 100 to the Robert Frost Trail and climbing and running, it's drastic. But like, if you were training for Vermont 100 and then you went and did that and to finish that, like doing 100 miles on that yeah. is is wild. Yeah. And like, I mean, I chose it because it's like three miles from my house and you yeah. can get on that trail and then it's marked the whole way. So then like, you don't have to mark anything. It's just like everyone can find the way, but like I underestimated, I don't run it a ton in the summer. Like there were sections that were like really outgrown and there was like this whole swamp section where people were like knee deep, like kind of Barkley-esque, like mucking <laughs> through. And yeah, I mean like there was a reason that only one person kind of made it to the finish, even yeah. though plenty of people were fit enough and were focused enough, but like it it was it wasn't the easiest course. So So Whatever. that'll be Amy's next hundred mile race that she's putting on. Right. <laughs> so so I know we talked we're talking we've talked so far a lot about Vermont one hundred. You probably put on um besides Vermont one hundred probably the large is it's got to be the largest trail re race in new england is it not seven sisters i don't know it's i Perhaps. mean it's 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 biggie it's, for sure it's big and it's it's certainly one that's that's well known you know like even before i took on the race it was one that like you know every year in like runner's world it would be yep. like you know, rated the hardest up-down race or like it had all these like random accolades in like Trail Runner Magazine and Runner's World and that sort of thing. So it's one that if it, even if I don't know if numbers wise, it's the biggest because we are limited by our permit, only only 500 runners. Um, but it's one that certainly like lives on in infamy. So yeah. So yeah. what's it what's it like directing that race? Vice Vermont 100, right? We're like where you have a essentially a 10 to 12 mile race versus a hundred mile. Oh yeah. It's way easy. <laughs> it's way so easier. 
Um, yeah, I mean, everything's done in six hours. You know, it's yeah. so much easier. Vermont 100 is a four day event, right? Um, you know, and it's 30 hours of racing. So, um, yeah, but Seven Sisters, it's yeah, it's it's fun. Um, it's it's another one, though, where it's like I've got a committee of I think now it's like seven other people that kind of do wear various roles to help organize that. So again, like I've, I've got some great support behind me and they just let me be the, you know, rah, rah person um, in the front. So. All yeah. right. So those now, what East Coast Trail races do you have? And what's your, what's your favorite of your races that are your races specifically that you've created and Oh gosh. I feel like that's like, like it's I like asking it's just, someone what their favorite kid is. Like that's what I, I was going to say. I was just going to say that Which Sean love better than the other. Exactly. That's ex oh, that's exactly what I was just going to say. Sean, which of your kids do you love better? <laughs> I'll tell you but not publicly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Women in sports. I, you know, obviously we've we've been treated as second class citizens for a long time. It's just kind of the way it is, right? However, as I was mentioning, the the ultra community, I didn't really experience that. I've never experienced that. It, it my gender was never an issue. Um, however, I'm really curious. Being a female race director, do you? Is it? Does it even? Does it? even make a difference you know that you're a woman did do people question you do you do you believe it's harder um to be a successful race director as a woman or does the ultra community because we are so i i often refer to us like the island of misfit toys and rudolph you know we're we're a bunch of weirdos and we all connect and we're bonding because we're weirdos and that's how i feel as a runner but i'm wondering as a race director what it's like. I mean, if, if it's harder, if you never noticed a difference. Um, I mean, I, I've only ever been a female, so it's hard to know you and me both what it would <laughs> feel like to not be a female. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, I don't know how to put this. It's like, I don't know if it's harder or easier, but I certainly feel like talking to my current contemporaries that are male, like they, they may not have their like I don't I don't want to say they don't have their emotions in it as much, but I know like I like I really struggle when somebody say will email me and they want an exception to something. You know, they they want an exception on your you nice. know, I get yeah. that I haven't met the qualifying standards, but here's mm. my story why. And they pull on the heartstrings. And I don't know if other, you know, I don't know if my male counterparts are, you know, find it easier to just be like, here are the rules and this is what it is. But for me, it's like much as yes, these are the rules, like it, it chips away at me every single time someone asks for that because the humanity and the empathy in me wants to hear them and wants to side with them. And yet, like, I'm a big fan of just like, if you make an exception for one person, like nobody stays quiet about it and everyone else wants an exception and all of a sudden it's a huge sliding scale. And so you, you have, you have to have the standards there for a reason, but like it, it chips away at me a little bit. Um, but I will say like, even just in general, when there's, um, 
like when there's like, say, articles or like whatever, when they're talking about the race director, like there's always the need to just not not just be like Amy Rizeki, the race director, like Amy Rizeki, the female race director. Right. They feel yes. the name to put that qualifier in because, yes. you know, um, and I feel like anybody that's not a white male often gets that qualifier anytime they're in a position of leadership, you know, right. Um and so, like, I, I noticed that where, you know, I, I see from Sean's reaction that he might not notice that because that, you know, like, no one's going to say those words for you. And it just might not register as much because you're not as sensitive to it. And I get that to me. It's just I'm sensitive to it because it's like, you don't need to say that I'm female. It's not weird. I, I'm in a right. leadership position. It's OK. Um, so I do notice that or for a while, people thought that Brian and I were both race directors for Vermont hundred. Cause I think they struggled to think that just a female could be the race director and not, you know, a female with support from her husband. Um, and so that like for a while, like we were kind of list, like not, not at Vermont 100, but like in other, like new, like in, in an article or whatever, I'd see us both listed. And I was like, uh, well, he's a huge help. Don't get me wrong, but right. <laughs> not the director of this like he's just really good at like moving boxes and organizing things and keeping me calm huge help but let's let's not kind of elevate that um interesting so, yeah yeah and and while we're talking you know while we're talking about gender a little bit of a controversial topic that we don't typically talk about on this podcast because I, i'm kind of like you i don't ever want anybody to get hurt by some of the things we said but where do you fall with transgender athletes and with your race organization? How have how have you addressed that issue? And I shouldn't say, yeah. you know, I want to correct my question because I said that issue like it's um, I don't know. like I, I don't even like how I asked the question, but it I just you know, I tend to think people are people and it doesn't make a difference to me. But it does become a controversial issue at times. So I'd love to hear how how you how you've uh, addressed it. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, I think that's, it's a valid question. And, but to me, it's very like, it's very cut and dry where it's like, just we're a community that accepts you as you are and as you identify. And like, at the end of the day, if somebody wins my race, like they're, they're winning a fucking shirt, you know, like we're not, we're not talking huge dollars. We're not talking like crazy stuff where it even matters. Um, and so like one of the things that I'm, you know, proud of is I want to say it goes back to like, it was maybe 2017 might have been the first time, like at Vermont 100, it was the first time that a male to female transgender stood on the podium of a major ultra. And um, I got I got some really angry emails from that afterwards. And in my mind, I was like, no, like this athlete has gone through all the hormone therapy. She like she she is registering as female because that's who she is now. And much right. as I'm not going to question your age for an age group category, I don't ID you. Like there's a whole level of trust here. I don't look up, I don't look at anybody's skirt, you know, like I I trust when you register that you, you know, are far enough along in, you know, whatever transition that that's the gender that you are um 
much as I trust your age, much as I trust that everyone follows anti-doping rules because we don't test at our races. And at the end of the day, like if someone's lying, they're getting away with a shirt, you know, like it's it's not it's not really high stakes. It's a shirt I, and a lot of miles and some horses and a great yeah. experience. <laughs> But it's also like just this culture in general is let's accept everyone. And I just think right. it's so against that culture for people. Like after that, there were some people that were asking me, did I drug test that athlete? And I said, no, but I also oh. didn't trust. I didn't drug test the male winner to make sure that they weren't using banned substances. Like there's an inherent level of trust here. And I don't think it would be fair to call out this one athlete to make sure that their hormone levels were appropriate when I didn't test any other athlete like to me that would be um you know unfair to one person above anybody else so it makes sense it's, it makes sense yeah. yeah well you also created a lgbtq plus friendly race is that not correct for your beast coast trail running yeah so um yeah thanks for mentioning that so one of the races that we um put on and this was one that um a dear friend of mine, Bryce Spare, um, approached me, um, and he's very active with a local nonprofit called the Venture Out Project. And the Venture Out Project is all about um, getting, it's basically providing outdoor opportunities for members of the LGBTQ and queer community, um, like kind of a safe space, go out, you know, learn about the woods, do all of that. And so, um, you know, Bryce and Venture Out wanted to create a trail race. And so they brought me on board as just somebody who knows how to put on a trail race, but also someone who feels so strongly that there is a place in this sports and, and you know, and we need to welcome, you know, LGBTQ athletes in general. And so, um, yeah, so this race is called the All of the Above Trail Fest. Um, and it's a race, you know, and, and the point is like, we don't care what box you check, all of the above is welcome here. Uh, that's kind of the where the name came from. That's great. And it's yeah, it's so fun. It's so fun. Um, and so what we do, like we worked with the registration company and said, can you not ask the gender question when people register? Like we don't even want to know. Like gender is just not even. Nobody has to check any box when they're registering. Um, and instead, we do it as a prediction run. And so the person that wins is the person that predicts their time the closest. Oh, and so that way it okay. could be anybody and like it's not about fastest male fastest female you know and frankly right. that also means like it's not the same you know speedsters that are winning this race it can be anybody in the field and how long is that race um so it's a 21k is the prediction run and then we also hold a like a fun run 5k that you know no prizes other than like best costume and you know stuff like that like it's 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 really kind of become this big festival where everyone just goes and they explore the trails however they want to and you know we give out a lot of prizes that have nothing to do with speed and have nothing to do with gender and um it's it's just a lot of fun and and it's actually been a really cool intersection of um the the queer community in this area and the trail community um which yeah, it's been it's been really it's been really awesome. So this year was the second year, and it's it's certainly I think going to continue to continue to grow in the future. Great, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. So, well, I I don't know shift I guess a little bit. Now, the East Coast. 
typically doesn't get the same level of respect as, as runners from, from the West Coast in the, the Rockies. What are your thoughts on that, Amy? Oh, boy. <laughs> Sean just like, like how, much, how much time do you have? Out. He's throwing it away. <laughs> All right, here we go. Well, I dropped, you know, yeah, I... I unexpectedly asked this transgender question, which we're always very careful about. Now we're going to, you know, so, so we just want to make sure we're nice to everybody and we're not insulting our West coast friends. <laughs> yeah. No. And I mean, here's, here's what I think in general is like, it's, it's like, I get that the trails are so different. And so a lot of times the people from the West coast, like I'll, I'll hear them before they come to Vermont hundred and, you know, they'll be like, Oh, the, you know, I think the course record's soft. I could totally beat that. Or they let's just look at results and they think, oh, I could do really well. Or same with Seven Sisters, you know. Oh, I, I, I'm sure I could do really well. Put me in the elite class. Really? You only have to finish under two hours to be in the elite class at Seven Sisters? Like, no big deal. I could do that. It's only 12 miles. Um, <laughs> literally, these are emails I get. Um, and, and it's like, and it's no disrespect. It's just the East Coast, like, our trails are rockier and they're more technical. And then we have humidity in the summer. And so it's it's almost like comparing apples to oranges to look at um, times. And I think anyone that's raced on both coasts, they get it. It's just that if you haven't raced on one coast and you look at the times, you think, gosh, you know, like a hundred miles and the female winners doing that in, you know, 18 and a half. And I look at the course, profile and there's no big climb oh gosh I can do really well at that um you know you come out here and then you and then you learn you know um but much like I go out to you know California or you know Colorado like at Colorado like Leadville 100 that like freaking elevation right like I can't run an elevation um that was really hard for me and I went to you know western states and just kind of the really big climbs and the really big descents like that's totally different I at least knew that to do know to train differently when I did that but again like it's it's apples and oranges to compare um the difference so I think just anybody who's kind of making those statements I think they just haven't experienced it to understand those differences yeah 100% and I think if you look at it and it's very rare that you'll see a very good East Coast runner go out West and perform very well and vice versa, right? Like, um, just like you were saying, like Western States, it's like, where in the East Coast are you running for f- uphill for five miles? Right. Or downhill for five and miles. And then slamming matter. downhill for five yeah. miles, right. Yeah. It's just it, the, the, the dynamics and what your body is adjusted for and, you know, take heat and dryness or humidity out of like the equation and, and just what you get used to. Um, but it is, it's always so weird to me that like Vermont 100 is one of the oldest hundred milers. It's second, third oldest, second. I don't, I don't know that. Of the continuing. Anyways. And, and yeah. um, and it's often overlooked by the, the top runners and, in the sport and it's 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 so baffling to me that it is yeah uh, outside of the outside of the grand slam where they right. have well, to because we know we know it. what a gem it is right we right. know what a gem it is and the fact that yeah it's not getting the accolades that it deserves well because of the shocking success of this podcast maybe it will change everything <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, interesting. it's interesting too like so i 
I was just running Pinotti hundred like a month ago. And so I'm down in Alabama and which was really interesting because it was, I can't tell you the last time I was at a race where I didn't know a single other person there. Um, you know, that that's rare for me. Right. Um, and that was, that was me down in Alabama. Um, but it was really interesting because I was telling, like I was running with some of the athletes and telling them about Vermont hundred. And it's interesting because in their mind, they think of Vermont and New Hampshire as, oh, I know it's got to be really technical. I know it's got to be really hard. Like they know enough because they're, you know, East coast to know, to know what things are like, but they also just assume when you're in New England, it's all technical. And I was like, well, no, it's actually not. It's rolling, you know, it's rolling. Ro so it's, it's, it's really interesting because it's in Vermont and you see the sights of Vermont, but you're not experiencing the technicality that some people might think you would get in Vermont. Um, yeah, it's not so. running the long trail or the AT. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. You, I mean, you technically cross the the AT, but you know, <laughs> like you literally run across it. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, what you, what's what's next? Besides, uh, besides holidays, I mean, what's, <gasps> what's next for you for your for your company? I mean, next year it'll be the same slate of races again. So. Um, you know, we start with the, we have a race at Mount Toby. That's always the week before Boston Marathon. Um, and that's kind of the season opener. Um, Seven Sisters. And then I do um, the Chesterfield Gorge race, which um, that was, um, you'd asked earlier about like my favorite, and I don't have like favorite favorites, but I will say Chesterfield Gorge Ultra is one that, that was the first race that I started from conception to reality you know vermont 100 i was handed seven sisters i was handed um so i do have a sweet spot for the chesterfield gorge because i you know had this idea and you know saw it to fruition and last year was the fifth year of the race and so that was that was really exciting um so we've got that and then in the the fall it's all of the above and um the mount tom race and then um the race that was just last weekend which is my last runner standing which is probably my other kind of favorite race just because it's it's so fun and i think nothing brings the community together like um a backyard ultra um you know there's just something about everyone being together you know even for five minutes every hour even the fastest person the slowest person are all hanging out together that you don't have it in any other race and it really kind of brings everyone together so um yeah i don't have favorite kids but those are probably the two that i have the softest spots for um so that's kind of the race calendar and then vermont hundred stuck in the middle that isn't a beast coast race but the other one that i put on um but i'm trying to define like what my racing calendar looks like um and partly you know my husband obviously was a phenomenal ultra runner for many many years um, during COVID, he kind of lost all of his, his enthusiasm and decided to retire from ultra running, um, which which is sad because he was my partner in crime. And a lot of times we would travel to races together. But I'm trying to see it as like the silver lining of that is there are races that were on my bucket list that he just wasn't interested in doing. And so partly like I'm going through my bucket list of races um, and that, you know, hence Pinotti, which like he never had any interest in going to Alabama. I really wanted to do it. Um, and I did Laurel Highlands earlier this year, which was one that he raced many years ago and I supported him and I always wanted to go back to race myself. And so I got to do that earlier this year. Um, so 
I'm not quite sure, but I'm sure it'll be some of those races that I've had on my bucket list forever to, you know, finally, finally do for myself. So. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for coming on. It, it really means the world to us. And Sean was crewing your race last weekend. So we were talking about the race when we recorded last weekend. So, um, so yeah, we did, we did address it a bit. Now, million dollar question for you. Oh boy. You get, you get to pick our outtake song. So what are you going to choose? What's my choice? Oh yeah, that's right. You guys wouldn't, didn't want me to say it before. Um, yeah, <laughs> we, we so, like the we like the surprise. Okay, so um, if if we're talking like my my running song that gets me going, so I like um, "Here We Go Again" by OK Go. Okay, so that's got to be it. Um, awesome. And I'll and I'll give you my little story on that. Is that I actually like I I know Andy Ross who's in OK Go. We were in high school together. A little high school of thirty people graduating in my class. So I, I followed OK Go forever, um, and, but their songs are so runnable too. So, um, so there you go. <laughs> Perfect. We'll give it a listen. Thank you so much. Um, I look forward to when we can meet in person. That would and be thank you for all that you do. I mean, what you do for our community, just, you know, keeping it you know, keeping it like family, keeping it weird, keeping it fun, keeping it quirky, keeping it open. Um, yeah, that's that's the spirit of of endurance sports. And that's that's I think why we all do what we do. Excellent. Well, thank you. I appreciate talking to you guys. Amy's Amy's always looking for good volunteers, Megan. You can come out and volunteer. Oh, really? Yeah. You're okay. welcome to volunteer at any time okay. when, you, when you volunteer. You could you could even okay. show up and just ask her if you could do anything and she'll just send you on a coffee run for her. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. True story. Well, I do appreciate a woman that that says what she needs. <laughs> thanks, Amy. It was nice talking to you.
Sean, we need to talk to people and take a few minutes because we need something. We need our listeners to follow our podcast. Can you, you're our tech, tech expert. I go to you. I'll, that sounds, all right. I'm going to say this again. <laughs> I was going to try to let it go. Okay. Fucking technotronic. <laughs> pump up the jam. Pump it up. Speaking of being technotronic and pumping up the jam, Sean, we need our listeners to follow our podcast. You are our resident tech expert. Could you please describe what you need people to do? How do we do this? How do you how do you follow a podcast? Well, it depends on what format you're on, but on most formats, there is usually a three dot circle or some other indication and there will pop a drop out drop down from that um three dot circle and in that drop down will give you the option to follow the podcast you can also in whatever app you're using go to your settings and set to notify and you can be notified of any new podcast you're following especially ours which is the most important and Absolutely. that'll show up that show up on your phone all the time, man. You'll have more notifications. Boom. And you'll get one from us every two weeks. Because why, Megan? We post every two weeks. That's what we do. That's what we do. The When our listeners follow our podcast, it really helps with our ratings. And it helps how we appear um, when people are searching for podcasts. So please, as a favor to us, me and Sean, Sean and me, please. Also, if you're so inclined and you really like us and you want to leave us the best review ever, that does wonders. But what we really need you to do is follow. The review stuff is just sprinkles, sprinkles on a Sunday. Right, Sean? Sprinkles on a Sunday. What about the cherry? What counts as the cherry? Okay, the cherry would be if you want to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. So just look up Zendurance Now. You can like us, follow us, comment, message us, and you can always check out our website, which is zendurancenow.com. All right. Awesome. Hope to see thanks, you there. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for the thanks for the tech advice.